0: It's about to get real cash flow king with you again today. And today in episode number seven, we're going to talk about what's your savings rate. Thanks for taking the time with us to tune in. If you have a personal finance related question, don't forget to send an email to gmail.com. Again, that's gmail.com to get your personal finance related question answered on the show we are going to talk today about your savings rate what in the world is a savings rate and that's a great question so when we when you hear the phrase savings rate what do you personally think about what do you think of what does that mean to you and you're probably scratching your head or just kind of waiting like all right cash flow king get on with it already because I don't know the answer to that question. And you're in good luck because nobody really knows the answer to that question. Everybody seems to define it a little bit differently. Before we get into savings rate defined or undefined, as I like to call it, just a quick note about this particular episode and who this podcast show is for. Today's episode Unfortunately, it's not for those that are just buried in credit card debt or have some payday loans or any other crazy type of high interest rate consumer debt. This show is not going to appeal to you, quite frankly. This show is more for people that are simply trying to do a quick benchmark or checkpoint on, hey, how am I doing on a month-to-month basis with my personal finances, maybe you have the typical you know, consumer type of loan products, maybe you have some retirement plans, maybe a retirement plan at work, you're saving a little bit of money, you're investing a little bit of money every month. You just kind of want to improve your finances in general. Those are the folks that I think today's episode is going to appeal most to. So I just want to start with that. Okay, so savings rate defined, or again, savings rate undefined, everyone is going to define a savings rate differently. And I'll give you some examples as we go through the episode today, but I'll start by saying that you need to define what that means for you. Anybody can Google it and come up with a definition, or this source says this, and that source says that, but you have to come up with something, in my opinion, that is meaningful to you. So if you look, just a couple sources that um, I had looked at in preparation for today's show, one of which was the Bureau of Economic Analysis, or the BEA, and you can check them out at BEA.gov, they define it as personal earned income net after-tax dollars is what we're talking about. So wages, not capital gains or investment income of any kind, but simply personal income And we're talking about net after-tax dollars, how much of that is saved versus consumed. That's how they would define it. And according to the statistics on their website, shockingly, in the United States, as of December of 2021, we have a 7.9% savings rate in the U.S. based on their definition. Another source, which some people may be familiar with, and this was out of an article back in July of 2017, CNBC also agrees with using the after-tax number as opposed to gross income, which would be before taxes. And you have other sources. There's a website that seems to be fairly popular out there called Saveology. They're in the camp of using gross income as opposed to net income. So again, nobody can really agree on what in the world this actually means, but there are some different ways to calculate it. So let's talk about what those are, and you can maybe pick one that resonates for you, and then I'll share a little bit about how I personally view this. Different ways to calculate a savings rate. Some people will include retirement plan contributions. So some will include their own contributions to a plan only. Other people will also include their employer match if they are getting one. So some people will take those figures and then add in the amount after taxes, so their net income that is not consumed, so money that's either saved and or invested. So some people will calculate it that way. Some people, and I quite frankly think this one is a stretch, will use retirement contributions. They will also use after-tax amounts, and then they'll even add in something like principal pay down on a mortgage. And they'll make the argument that, well, I'm making a mortgage payment, and a portion of that mortgage payment goes towards paying the principal, and therefore I'm building equity in the home, and therefore I should include that in my savings rate. My response is bullshit. Uh, As we've talked about in other episodes about home equity. I think it was episode number five, the power of your mortgage. You can hear some thoughts about that. I won't rehash that here, but I do think that that's a stretch to include principal pay down. Although some folks are very passionate about including that in their savings rate, So I'll leave that for you to decide what you want to do in your own situation. If you do own a home and you do have a mortgage, other people will do just after tax only. So you have your let's say you're an employee for example a w-2 you're going to have benefits that typically will come out via payroll deduction A lot of those benefits will be pre-tax. Some of those benefits may be after-tax. You probably have some retirement plan contributions that are coming out of that. And then after all that and your tax withholdings, you will have the net amount that hits your bank account or credit union account. That after-tax amount, that's what a lot of people will use. And they'll look at it and say, okay, how much did we bring home? What is our take-home pay? And then what portion of that is able to be saved or invested versus what portion of that is consumed through personal expenses. And personally, I like that one. I I would suggest for a lot of people starting there. And we'll get into what I like to call cash flow Kings levels, the different levels of savings rates and my kind of little key catchphrases for those if you're interested. I think it's kind of a, a fun little exercise to go through here in a few minutes. But if you're not where you want to be, then maybe you can start incorporating some of the other elements. So maybe you start with your after-tax net take-home pay and figure out what your savings rate is based on that. And then you can always say, well, that's not really what I want it to be, but I didn't include my contributions to my retirement plan at work. Say your 401k or Roth 401k, for example, you could go ahead and add that back in. When I'm tracking savings rate personally, and and shout out to Odog, who's a listener of the show, gave us a nice review. I know that some people will look at this from the standpoint of, and I like this one, anything that flows through and hits your pocket that gets reinvested, regardless of where that money comes from, should be counted in your savings rate. So let's say you had investment real estate or dividends from a stock portfolio or ETF portfolio, for example, and those funds were reinvested. Say you had investments in a real estate syndication, which we'll probably do a show on different types of investments. and Maybe we'll talk about real estate syndications at some point. And let's say you get a quarterly distribution from that syndication. So that's money that flows into your pocket on a quarterly basis. You could choose to go ahead and spend that money and consume it. And obviously it wouldn't count towards your savings rate, or you can choose to save and or invest those dollars back into whatever you're putting your money into, whether that's a savings vehicle or an investment vehicle, so on and so forth. And so that those dollars would also be counted in your savings rate. So I I do like that. Shout out to O-Dog. Personally, I do track net after-tax personal cash flows versus expenses. And so that's kind of the way that I would look at it as well. So we're talking about income from work, whether those are wages or earned income if you're self-employed. And any other types of investments that will flow through to your personal pocket. I do not personally include anything that is funneled through business type of investment. So again, if you own rental properties and those rental properties are in an LLC, a limited liability company, and you have essentially rents that come in, mortgages go out, you are putting aside a portion for reserves. So, and, and that essentially gets recycled within the business. I would not count those types of investments so anything that is flowing through to your personal pocket i would count that so that's where i would start again you can always add back in your retirement plan contributions Uh, it's really there's a spectrum and you have to kind of see how you want to look at it on the most extreme end some people will look at net after-tax dollars from personal income only And that's typically going to generate the lowest savings rate, all else being equal, all the way to the people that are counting their their contributions, their employer's contributions, if any, the principal paid down on the mortgage and every little fucking thing they can think of to get into their savings rate. They're going to be on the other end of the spectrum. I think most people are going to be somewhere in the middle. Depending on where you're putting the bulk of your money, if you're really trying to put quite a few dollars into retirement plans and you have a large chunk of money that's going there every pay period, for example, you're probably going to want to include that in your savings rate. If you're putting away you know, 15, 20 plus percent into your retirement plan, you probably are going to want to add that into your net after-tax savings amount as well. So there's no one way to do it. There's no necessarily right or wrong way to do it. You have to do What works for you. But that's kind of how I see it if you put these things on a continuum or some sort of a spectrum in terms of where your savings rate might fall. So let's have a little fun and get into what I like to call the cash flow king's levels in terms of your savings rate. Now, if you don't like where you might be at, again, you may be tempted to go back in and add in different things to boost your savings rate. Whatever kind of games you want to play is fine. Obviously, more is generally going to be better than less, although I do believe that there is such a thing as too much, which we'll talk about at the end as well. So I have eight different levels for savings rates and what I would kind of term them as. The first one is, oh, fuck. And that would be a savings rate of 10% or less. I think you're probably going to be in a little bit of trouble there. Not most desirable place to be by any means, but we all start somewhere. So if that's you, don't worry about it. There's different techniques and things that you can do to try to boost your savings rate. But if you are putting away 10% or less, however you define that, I would say you're in the oh fuck camp. The second one is needs a little bit of work. and this, I would say you're looking at typically about 15% plus. I know that different financial advisors out there will have different ranges. I know when I have clients ask the question, I always like to counter with, well, what is your goal and what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And usually the question I get is how much should I be putting away into retirement plans? And it's a very subjective answer, but I think a lot of people just like these blanket statements or just this blanket advice, if you will, quote unquote, that exists out there. And no, this is not advice. This is for education and entertainment purposes only, this show. But I think for a lot of people, and we do have some clients that have pensions, I would say probably in the neighborhood of 10 to 15% on the low end is what those clients are looking at and then those that may not have access to an employer sponsored pension like a defined benefit pension plan i think that 15 to 20 percent just from a strictly retirement savings standpoint is probably going to be around the bare minimum you can certainly do more than that and part of it's going to be a function of income if you're making you know mcmillions and you put in just a very small percentage amount you're still putting away a lot of dollars But if you're putting away 50% and you make 10 grand a year, that's also really not all that impressive, right? So it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. But those are some general benchmarks, I think, that are thrown around out there. And so when I say in this little cash flow king level here of 15 plus percent needing work, again, that's my opinion. You might think that that's perfectly fine for you, and it depends on what your goals are, right? What do your expenses look like? When are you trying to retire? Are we talking about just for retirement? And I would argue for the savings rate, we're not. I would argue that we're, for the most part, talking about non-retirement after-tax savings. And some people may also include their retirement savings in there, But especially if you're including both components, your net after-tax savings and investments, plus your retirement plan contributions, and you're not above 15%, you're probably not too far from the oh fuck camp, but I would say that it does need some work. So that would be category number two. Number three, getting there. I would say anybody that's around 20% plus is kind of on the getting there sort of track. 30% 30% plus, I'd say we're on the runway, right? You hear the the plane engine starting to rumble a little bit. We're not quite taking off just yet, but we're getting some things started. I think that's a fairly okay place to be. And again, we're probably all going to progress through these different phases at different points in life. So no matter where you are, don't feel bad about it. Just kind of, you know, do an assessment of where you're at and where you're trying to get to. And hopefully this kind of gives you a little bit of flavor and fun to have with it. plus now we're talking that's the now we're talking I think that that's a a very good and for a lot of people's maybe somewhat aspirational savings rate to get to depending on your family situation and whether you have children or not and when you're trying to retire are you trying to quote unquote retire early or not a lot of those things will factor in here but I think 40% plus now we're talking that's a really solid place to be 50 to 60%, I would say you're probably one of the uh, fire community entrants, if you will, the financial independence, retire early community. A lot of people are trying to save about half their income or a little bit more than that, so that's definitely solid. 60 to 70%, kind of a fire community boss is what I would call you. And then if you're getting well north of that, like 80% plus, I think you're in the live a little camp. I really do think that we all need to balance are savings rates. And when I say savings rate, I think I've made this clear, but just in case I haven't, we're talking about money that is not consumed or spent. So this could be money that is literally saved in some type of a savings type of vehicle. It could also be, and hopefully is more so money that is being invested into something, whether that's a cash flowing Asset, whether that is a equities or marketable securities based portfolio for long term appreciation potential, whatever that might be, it could be a combination of the two. So we're not just saying like literally put this money in a bank account and watch inflation rip its face off. That's not what we're talking about here. But either way, if your quote unquote savings rate is 80% plus. I think you really need to take a look at your lifestyle and if it just so happens that you're enjoying and doing everything you want to and spending money in places that you value and you're still knocking it out of the park at 80 plus percent, then that's awesome. But if you're not or you feel like you're living any sort of deprivation at all, I would argue that north of an 80% savings rate probably indicates you have a little bit of room to spend some money if your lifestyle is such that you would get some enjoyment out of spending that money. Those are the eight different little things I came up with for the cash flow kings levels of savings rates and you can kind of see where you fit and those I completely pulled out of my ass in case you're wondering so um, there's no definitive math that went into that or any particular rhyme or reason other than just looking at some of the more common numbers and trying to get some ballpark numbers and then assign some fun phrases to those and kind of terms of where I see things and for some people do I say 10% or less is the oh fuck camp well if you're in the crowd that literally just got out of credit card debt and you had some payday loans that you how to take care of, and you're just starting out and you're putting away 10%, you're probably doing awesome relative to where you were just a short time ago, right? So again, this is all relative and it's not to call anybody out or any of us to beat ourselves up about it. It's just something to be aware of and trying to have a little bit of fun with it. So why does this matter? Why do we even care about what our savings rate is? And one thing that comes to mind is the difference between a savings rate and Investment portfolio allocations, and every now and then this happens—not all the time—but there is, there was a client who emailed me one time, and she was in her 60s. She really didn't have all that much money with us. She was a client that I inherited from another advisor, and she was going on and on about optimal portfolio allocations and you know reallocating into this or that or the other thing. And I try to nicely, basically, say to her, "Hey, let's have a meaningful conversation. You know, here's a link to, to set up an appointment, and let's do that." But What I really wanted to say was, it doesn't fucking matter, lady, because you don't have any real money. And I know that sounds terrible, but really the most important thing is the savings rate. Not to say that what you invest in isn't important and not to say or discount things like risk tolerance and all that other good stuff. But at the end of the day, how much money you're putting behind these things is going to matter way more in most cases than what the money goes into. Right. So whether you have a little bit more in this particular asset class and a little bit less in that asset class, if you're only putting away one, two, three, five percent, who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Right. We really need to put some big dollars behind these things to move the needle and make a material difference. And one of the things I think that will matter for pretty much everybody more than anything else is your savings rate, especially if you can boost that relatively early in life. It will carry you so much further than you would ever imagine as you go through and get later on in life. So that's, in my opinion, one of the reasons that it matters. The other thing is just financial empowerment and choices. We've talked before that we do borrow. We had an episode with Cube Crusher on five principles and a couple of those. This is not necessarily a FI or fire podcast, although I'm sure many of the people listening belong to that community, and I would somewhat consider myself to be in that community myself. It's more about the FI part, the financial independence part. And the choices that that gives you as you go through life, depending on what life might throw your way. So it's not like we're being a bunch of misers and rubbing our pennies together and trying to save every little last cent that we can. That's not the point, right? Money is not the goal, as we've said before on the show, but it's a tool to allow us to live the life that we want and do the things that we enjoy and not always but a lot of times that does involve some sort of financial commitment or resources it costs money to do certain things and so it gives us the ability to make certain choices in life and I would say that that's why it matters it's not to brag that you have the highest savings rate among your personal circle that's not the point the point is you can live the life you want to and if shit hits the fan as life goes on you're going to have a little bit easier of a time navigating those circumstances if you have financial resources to do so. I would say that every dollar we spend, we have a choice. There's going to be some people listening to this and say, this is crazy, who in the world can save half their income? You know, I got a family with this many kids, and do you know how much daycare costs and cash flow king's full of shit and blah, blah, blah. And to those people, I would say that there's always going to be a way You may have higher expenses and maybe some other people that you know. Your savings rate may not be where you want it to be, but I would argue that there's almost always a way to reduce expenses within reason, but even more so than that, grow and expand income, as we've talked about on the show before, expanding your means to be able to do more, to be more, to have more, and I'm not trying to get all fucking woo-woo on you, but it really, just to think about that, there's always gonna be a way to do that, you know? Like today, for lunch, for example, I spent fucking $13 on Chick-fil-A. I don't need Chick-fil-A. And as I was driving home, I kind of beat myself up about it a little bit. Like, man, I could have just eaten something at home. We have stuff at home. And then I thought, dude, like your savings rate is through the roof. Who cares if you want to have a fucking original chicken sandwich and some fries with some salt on them, you can have it and it's fine. Right. Who cares? So anyway, we, we always have a choice. In terms of where our dollars go, some of us may on the surface appear to have more choices than others in terms of what our monthly obligations are, but I would argue that there's always a way to restructure things and really take a look at where your money is going, what sort of habits do you have that tend to cost money, and which of those are good for you and bringing you a lot of value and for those keep doing them and which ones are just kind of a waste and things that you don't necessarily enjoy or things or habits that you're spending money on that you don't need to be doing and I won't go through a laundry list of different types of habits that's for you to decide on your own time in terms of what that looks like in your life but I would say that it's something certainly to think about. The last point I want to talk about, and then we'll wrap the show today, is just a quick tidbit on financial calculator shortcomings. And this is even true in our space in the financial services world, where there's all these different types of retirement calculators and financial planning and retirement planning software. And one of the flaws, and this has been pointed out on other shows as well, but I think it's worth reiterating here, and that is that it makes the assumption that people are going to spend a percentage of their final year salary. So for example, part of our software generally will make the assumption that somebody's expenses in retirement, the amount of money that they're going to need for basic living expenses is going to be approximately 80% of their final year's salary, okay? Okay. And by default, you would say, oh, okay, well, then that means that we're making assumptions about what that person's expenses are and what their savings rate is and all these other things. And I would say, yes, that's true. And I don't necessarily think that it's always going to be a safe assumption. Now, for some people, for a lot of people that have relatively low savings rates that may be sort of paycheck to paycheck, I think those approximations could be fairly accurate. And if we just look across the country here in the U.S., unfortunately, as we talked about earlier in the show, with a 7.9% savings rate, depending on how you define it, it's pretty dismal. That approximation may work for the masses, and that's probably why a lot of the calculators are designed that way. But I do think it's worth noting that we really need to look at what our expenses and anticipated expenses are and then assign some reasonable assumptions to those for things like inflation and so on but I don't think it should just be a blanket percentage of our final earnings. So let's say hypothetically somebody is earning $100,000 a year in their final year salary. We're just going to assume that they need 80 grand a year in retirement. Like I think that's bullshit. So There's different ways to do it, and when I work with clients, we typically really drill down into what that expense number is, what does it look like now, what is it going to look like in retirement, what expenses do we have that are going to be there in perpetuity, what expenses are we going to have that are going to fall off, so maybe they didn't listen to the power of your mortgage, and they are planning on having their home paid off, and for some, again, that's a personal decision, and if they decide that that's what they want to do, that's great. Well, guess what? They're probably still going to have the taxes and insurance component, but the principal and interest component of their expenses may fall off. So we need to make sure we're adjusting for that and we're assigning appropriate timeframes to that. And I say all this to say, just be cognizant of the limitations of some of the financial calculators that are out there and some of the shortcomings that they have. And the reason I bring this up, it kind of ties into savings rate because they pretty much assume that everybody's savings rate is dog shit, in my opinion. And that's not necessarily going to be the case for a lot of people. Or for some people anyway, hopefully if you're listening to this show, you've already started to take steps to improve your own financial situation and you know increase your savings rate. So just be careful when you're looking at that. And what it all boils down to at the end of the day is you actually might be able to quote-unquote retire or a better way to say it would be to reach economic financial independence sooner than you otherwise would think by strictly looking at your expenses in dollar terms and not necessarily making a blanket assumption that it's going to be a percentage of your income. I think that's an important distinction to make because they may not be close at all, again, if you have a large savings rate. So with that said, we got a relatively short episode today just about 25 minutes or so. We're gonna go ahead and cut it here. On today's episode, what's your savings rate? Thanks so much for checking out Real Talk Personal Finance with the Cashflow King. Again, if you have a personal finance question you want answered on a Q&A show, feel free to send an email to realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com, and we'll make sure to try to include that in one of the upcoming Q&A episodes. Until next time, we will see you in the next episode.